Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Well, good morning. Oh, please don't stop. Please don't stop. <laughs> uh, that doesn't happen often. I got to confess, that doesn't happen often. Um, my name is Tim, and I have the privilege of serving in the role of Northern Regional Team Leader for the Western Pennsylvania District of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And if I put all of that on my business card, my business card would be about that long. Uh, basically, my job. Uh, which I am so delighted to be able to do, is to work with about 45 different churches from Elwood City, that's my southernmost church, over to the Ohio border, over to Sharon, all the way up to Erie, and then as far east as Cowdersport. Uh, So we do a lot of traveling. We cover about 35,000 miles a year of driving, and uh, we just finished our fourth year, and we have not hit a wild animal yet. So Please pray, because, uh, yeah, uh, God is good. And uh, when a church goes through a pastoral transition, uh, part of my role is to come alongside of that congregation and walk with them through the transition process. Now, I told you that I work with 45 churches. In the four years that I've been here, 21 of the 45 churches don't have the same pastor today than they did four years ago. So almost half, and three of those churches have had two pastors in those four years. So we've seen a lot of transition, and uh, we basically take this approach. We're trusting God, and that is what I want to encourage you to do off the very top. I just want to say, recommit yourself to be praying. Pray for me. Pray for the next pastor, who God already knows, and we're just searching. Pray for your leadership team, and pray for yourself. Pray that you would be in touch with what God wants you to be doing during this time of transition. After the service today, for as long as you would like, I'm just going to hang around. We're just going to do a real quick question and answer time. You may have questions about what's happening, the process, things like that. And I just want to be absolutely open to spending a few minutes. Now, I know the Steelers kick off at 1 o'clock. Although the way they played last week, you may want to hang around and ask more questions. You know, I'm just saying. Uh, but uh, I think they're going to do better today. But uh, we're just going to, we'll, we'll conclude the service. And if you need to go, if you need to pick up your kids, please don't feel bad. But if you just want to hang around, we're going to go right into a brief time of just me kind of unpacking what we're doing and give you an opportunity to interact. One other quick question, uh, one other quick thing I want to mention is thank you for your giving to Alliance Missions. We had the opportunity to hear Benoit this week at our district conference down in Butler. Do not let him get away without telling you about the Strawberry Girls. I'm sure it's part of his presentation, but if for some reason he doesn't mention it, you must hear, because that will explain, A, why his stuff cannot be put online, and two, why we need to be praying for Benoit and his wife as they serve the Lord in Spain. They are doing an incredible work, and God is giving them favor, and thank you for being a part of that. Last year, in calendar year 2022, those 140 churches 
all over the Western Pennsylvania district collectively gave more than $4 million to Alliance Missions. No other district in the entire United States gives more to Alliance Missions than the Western Pennsylvania district. Praise God. God has given us uh, many opportunities to do that. So, would you pray with me before we look to God's Word? Jesus, it's been a delight to worship you today, to hear the testimony of a man whose life was headed in one direction, and by your mercy, you put him in a new path. It's been great to sing these great songs that reflect on your goodness and your faithfulness, and we thank you. And Lord, now as we look to your word, it's my prayer that your word will speak to us, that above the sound of my voice, your spirit will speak to our spirits and encourage us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. My wife Sherry and I uh, this summer celebrated 39 years of marriage. We have three adult sons, two of whom live about a mile apart in a little southwestern corner of Iowa. Uh, my oldest son is a pastor. Our youngest is a high school math teacher in Westchester, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. Last December, our oldest and his wife, Sarah, produced our first grandchild. Yeah, thank you. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wow, he's way too young to be a grandfather. You are thinking that, aren't you? All right. Well, even if you're not, I have made a commitment to try to work the fact that I'm a grandfather into every sermon that I preach. The kids came east in August and spent a week with us at our home in Grove City, and our baby, our baby granddaughter, her name is Honey Renee. She's just beautiful. Wish I had a picture to show you. Oh, as a matter of fact, I do. I have a thousand pictures to show you. We learned something about Honey. In just the six days that they were basically with us, this is what we learned. She is always on the move. She doesn't stay still. She's not walking yet. But she is crawling everywhere. And while she was with us for the first time, she crawled up the stairs from the first floor to the second floor. And the kids were all excited about it. Oh, look at that. And we stood and watched and went, oh, you shouldn't be excited about that because your life just changed dramatically. She is always moving. She's one place here. And then a few minutes later, she's here. And then a little bit later, she's there. And then pretty soon, she's back where she started. I think that the disciples would have probably said the same thing if they would have been asked to describe Jesus. Jesus, he's never in the same place. He's always on the go. We're always moving. We don't sleep in the same town more than one night. And Jesus is off to another place to preach, to teach, to heal, to do things everywhere. It's like every day a new place. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, sure enough, Jesus comes to the disciples and says, guess what? We're on the move. If you have your Bible handy, would you turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8? The Gospel of Luke, the 8th chapter, beginning in verse 22. Luke 8, beginning in verse 22, and we'll read down just through verse 25. One day... Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. As they sailed, he, meaning Jesus, he fell asleep. 
A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Jesus comes on the scene. He looks at his disciples and he says, let's go. And notice he takes the lead. He is the captain. He's telling them, this is the time to move. This is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. Now, in six or seven weeks, Sherry and I are going to get on a plane, and we're going to fly to Iowa, and we're going to spend some time with the kids. Now, I want you to imagine this. We're sitting on the runway at Pittsburgh International Airport. We're in row 16, seat C and D, and all of a sudden, over the loudspeaker, we hear the voice of the captain of the airplane, the pilot, and he says, attention, would Reverend Tim Keller please report to the cockpit? I need some help in flying this plane. What would you do if you heard that? You'd be scrambling to get your luggage and get off that plane. That's what you'd be doing. That guy, I know him. He's a preacher. He's not a pilot. Why would they want him to help? And yet, how often in my life when God has stepped up and said, Tim, this is where I want to lead you. This is where I want to take you. Have I raised my hand and said, hey, God, how about I come and help you fly the plane? How come... You don't ask me to help you, God, because I'm willing and I've got some ideas about where we ought to go and what we ought to do. That's just as alarming a thought as me helping a pilot to fly a plane. Now, the, the setting for this story is interesting because it actually is relevant to what we're talking about. The place that we're talking about is the Sea of Galilee. It's it's a sea that it was about 13 by 8 miles long. So it's a very long, kind of narrow body of water. Luke, I think, is the only one who calls it a lake. Most people in the New Testament refer to the same place as the Sea of Galilee. There are other names that they gave it. But it was a freshwater lake that's about 650 feet below sea level. And most of the water that flowed into it came from the Jordan River, which you've heard about because that's where Jesus was baptized, and it flowed from north to south. But the interesting thing about the Sea of Galilee, and about 10 or 11 years ago, I had the opportunity to be on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the tour guide said, oh, the Bible is absolutely correct. Storms can come so quickly that you are completely unprepared. Violent squalls can come down from the mountains and just completely disrupt the waters and then just as quickly move on. And apparently that's what happened here. We are told that Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. They get in the boat, they set out, but as they sail, a squall comes down on the lake And the boat is swamped, and they are suddenly in great danger. Can I just remind you, you know this, can I just remind you that the disciples are all professional fishermen. They're not amateur fishermen that go out on Saturday morning on the first day of trout. These guys are professional fishermen. They know this body of water. They've not 
failed to experience storms before. They know what a good storm on the Sea of Galilee looks like. And yet, they're panicking. That should tell you something about the intensity of the storm that we're dealing with. Even the professional fishermen are now anxious. When Jesus had originally said to them, get in the boat, we're going to the other side of the lake, for them, that would have been the equivalent of, let's go to Walmart. You know, when somebody says, hey, hop in the car, we're going to Walmart, no big deal. By the way, you guys have a really nice Walmart in Newcastle. Grove City's Walmart leaves a little something to be desired. We come down here sometimes to find things that we can't find in Grove City. But it's no big deal to hop in the car and go to the store. So they weren't thinking, oh, this is some big thing that we're going to be experiencing. This was just no big deal. But what maybe initially felt like no big deal suddenly has become a big deal. And it's compounded by the fact that in verse 23, we're told that as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I struggle more with the humanity of Jesus than I do his divinity. Miracles, I have no problem believing that Jesus could do a miracle. But the idea of Jesus belching, which is what human beings do, the thought that maybe Jesus might have snored when he slept, Oh, man, that's hard. You never see that in the movies about Jesus. You never really capture that human part of him, but he was fully man. He was a human being. And as a human being, he had physical strength that depleted. And apparently, because of the intense ministry that he had been doing, when Jesus got onto the boat, he fell asleep. Now, let me be clear. I don't have a problem with Jesus needing a nap when he's out on the boat in the middle of the storm with you. (laughs) But when I'm on the boat in the middle of the storm and I go to find Jesus and he's asleep, I have a problem with that because that involves me. Jesus has fallen asleep and the storm has hit, and the panic has set in, and the question that arises in the hearts of the disciples is, are we going to be okay? And really, to make it more personal, they're saying, am I going to be okay? For a long time here, we thought we had everything under control. We thought we were good. We know the water, we're professional fishermen, we know how to do this, we know what a boat looks like, we know how to sail, and this isn't a particularly dangerous trip to just cross the Sea of Galilee, and they thought, piece of cake, no problems, and all of a sudden, a storm sets in, and the anxiety starts to build. Isn't that the way it is with us? We start the day not thinking that the phone's going to ring, and we're going to hear that someone's been sick, or that someone's been in an accident. We don't expect trains to derail and bring toxic waste to our community. We don't think about those things at the beginning of the day, but they do happen. Because of my role and working with so many different churches, we frequently get phone calls that say, so-and-so has just passed away. So-and-so is sick. They've been rushed to the hospital. So-and-so has been in an accident. I had one of my pastors a few years ago that was out riding his motorcycle one evening. It was a beautiful evening, and a deer jumped, not ran, but jumped off the side of the road and knocked him off his motorcycle, and he was in the hospital pretty banged up for quite a bit of time. 
We get the call. Hey, we have an emergency situation here. Storms hit. Perhaps a few weeks ago, when your pastor stood up and announced that he had accepted the call to go to a different church, you didn't see that coming. Maybe you felt a little blindsided. That's a storm. I didn't see it coming. And maybe for just a brief amount of time, you felt a little bit of anxiety. What are we going to do? What's the future going to look like? All of a sudden, not so sure. The storm sets in. The boat is swamped. Danger. Anxiety. What do you do when the storm hits? How does it display itself in you? Do you get anxious? Do you feel your pulse getting a little more rapid? Do you feel like maybe you're losing control? Do you feel like you have a knot in your stomach? Maybe you feel like running away. Maybe you get angry. Maybe you just have a profound sense of disappointment. I didn't think it was going to look like this. I thought we were going to continue the way we had been continuing. I thought things were good and we were smooth and everything was fine. And now this, and I just don't know how to process it. The disciples seemed to possess some of these emotions in verse 24 because they woke Jesus up and they didn't say, Jesus, Jesus, we have a slight problem. No, they said, Jesus, Master, we're going to drown. Nothing like being dramatic. We're going under. Now, please understand, this isn't the first day that they've spent with Jesus. They have seen him do miraculous things. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him raise the dead. They have seen his power and his authority. But all of that seems to have gone out the window because they have forgotten. Temporary amnesia, call it. But they seem to have forgotten that the one who can heal and forgive and turn water into wine, right now, they're not plugged into that. Often when the storms hit, we forget. That's why on many communion tables in many church sanctuaries, we see these words, do this in remembrance of me. Why do we need to remember? Because we're such good forgetters. We know. You know, I often think about the Israelites in the book of Exodus. I was reading the book of Exodus recently, and I thought, you know, these guys saw all of these incredible acts of God's power. And yet every time they faced a new crisis, it was like they had amnesia and they forgot what God had done. The fact that he delivered them from the Egyptians in the first place, whoosh. And I honestly believe if Moses would have said, hey, let's call for a vote, they would have voted to go back to Egypt into captivity. Why? Because they had forgotten about how powerful God is and what he is capable of doing. And when we forget, we get anxious. What had they forgotten? Well, they may have forgotten that Jesus is God. They may have forgotten that Jesus is greater than a king, more powerful than a president, mightier than a storm, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the almighty God. They forgot that. And when you forget that, all of that stuff doesn't matter. Because all you can think of is, we are going to drown. Do you know what worship is? Worship is designed to be our weekly reminder 
of who God is. We gather together, we sing these songs, we read these scriptures, we pray these prayers for the purpose of reminding us of who God is so that on Tuesday afternoon or Thursday night, when you face your storm, you are quick to remember that the God that we sang about this morning is real and he will do what he says he will do. Does your car ever go out of alignment? I'm not a car guy, but I think alignment is kind of when one part of the car is pointing in a different direction than the rest of the car. (laughs) What do you do? You bring that car into the shop and you say, this car needs to be aligned. We need to get everything facing in the right direction again. That's what worship is designed to do. That's why we come together. That's why it's so important that we come together. Because we need to be constantly reminded of who God is. Because if we forget, we can live as if we're going under instead of going over. Yeah, there are rough patches in life. Jesus said, expect turmoil and tribulation, but you, when you are in the boat with Jesus, are not going to go under, but you are going to go over. The disciples had forgotten. So the storm, when it sets in, it's important to recall who Jesus is. They had forgotten. So in verse 24, Jesus springs into action. He got up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided. And all was calm. Can you, can you imagine being an eyewitness to that? I, you know, there are just some occasions in Scripture where it's like, oh, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have seen that with my own eyes. Jesus got up and he spoke to the storm. It says he rebuked it. He basically said, whoa there, no further. Calm down. Because he's the creator. And he is sovereign over the universe that he has created. And he can say to any disease, stop, no further. And he can say to any crisis, that's all the further that you're going to go today. He maintains control. I've heard people say in recent days, look at our world, it's spinning out of control. No, it is not. It just looks that way to us. But he is the one who is sovereign over it all. It is not out of control. His purpose is being played out. And what seems like just a whirling dervish of activity that has no rhyme or reason is actually God's plan being unfolded for all of history. And I don't need to be afraid of it if I remember who he is. Being there would have been great until verse 25. Verse 25, I think I would have wanted to go below deck. Because Jesus turned to the disciples. Now, we have no idea what the tone was. We can only guess what the tone was. But he asked them a question. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? You see, Jesus expected more from them. And he was not pleased that they had entered this zone of disbelief. Their forgetfulness was disbelief. And he didn't say, there, there, it happens to all of us. He actually communicated more, your faith should have been in me. Why? Was that fair? I think it was because of the evidence. 
They had seen the evidence of his power. They had seen the evidence of his control. And they had just seen him command the storm to stop. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him heal the sick. They had seen him feed the 5,000. They had seen him display his might. And therefore, Jesus concluded, because of the evidence that he had put forth, it was absolutely reasonable for them to believe in him. But when the storm hits, do you know what I start believing in? More than anything else, I start believing in me. I'm going to get through this. Or we're going to get through this. The collective we. We believe in our church. We believe in our theology. We believe in our district. We believe in our history. And those are, none of those are bad things. But I think when Jesus said, where is your faith? He was asking the question, is it any place other than in me? Is your faith anywhere else other than in me? Because that's where it needs to be. We don't trust our history. You have a great history. We celebrated your history last November when we were here. You've got an incredible history as a congregation. Don't trust it. Churches older than yours have gone off the path. Don't trust your history. Well, we're going we're gonna to find the right path because we've always managed to find the right path. It doesn't always end that way. Don't trust the district. We're here to serve you, but we are fallible and we make mistakes. Trust Jesus. And in him, find confidence. We're going to be okay. Why? Because Jesus is in the boat and we can trust him. He's the one who calms the sea. And the storms will come. I love the response of the disciples. In fear and amazement, they didn't even acknowledge him now. They're just looking at one another and they're going, who is this? You see, he had just surpassed their understanding of his power. They had an understanding of his power. They forgot it. He just demonstrated power beyond their imagination. We didn't even imagine it could be like this. You know what that tells me? Congregation of Washington Union Alliance Church with a long history of seeing God use you to be a ministry in this community, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know the temptation. You know the temptation. We just lost a gem of a pastor. He is no longer here. What's going to become of us? Are we ever going to find somebody like that again? The answer is no. You're going to find someone different. But wait a minute. We're not trusting in a pastor. We're trusting in... Yeah, that was a little weak. We're trusting in... We're trusting in Jesus. Yeah, we're not trusting in the board. We're not trusting in Tim Keller. We're trusting in Jesus. And Jesus will supply. And I don't know who that person's going to be yet. Neither do you. But we have every reason to trust based on the evidence that he has supplied so far that God has a plan for your church and it's going to be a good plan. There was a guy who lived a long time ago by the name of Job. Job is the poster boy for a rough time. You talk about storms, 
Job's everyday existence was just one storm after another. And you know, at the beginning of the book of Job, God himself describes Job as being a good guy. This is a good guy. There's nobody like Job. He's perfect. And yet, for 41 chapters, Job gets pounded on. He loses everything of value to him. His health, his wealth, his family. And then his friends come and try to encourage him, and that doesn't work out so well. And you go, God, if this guy was such a good guy, why did you allow him to go through this storm? The answer is found in Job chapter 42 and verse 5. Because when Job gets through all of that suffering, this is what he says to the Lord. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I thought I knew who you were, God, but now I know at a much deeper level who you are. My prayer for you is that during this season, instead of being anxious, you would focus on trusting Jesus, and at the end of the day, your testimony will be like Job's. Hey, I I already knew that God was good, but I had no idea how good God was until I went through this unexpected storm. May God be the focus of your confidence and your trust as we together walk through this new chapter in the life of your church. Would you pray with me? Lord, we don't need to fear going under if we remember who you are. Give us confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. And when anxiety comes, and it will come unexpectedly as a storm, may we point to you and say, I will not be afraid, because whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. And whether it hits in the middle of the night and gives us sleepless nights, or whether it is a sensation that flows over us when we think about coming to church on Sunday, may the enemy not get a foothold in bringing fear into the picture. Because even though we can sense the boat may be rocking a little, with you on board, we can have confidence. Thank you for your promises that we can cling to for such a season as this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.